What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Welcome to 716 Together, a Western New York Audio Town Hall presentation of Cumulus Media Buffalo, designed to inform, inspire, and empower our community on issues that affect us all. It's my pleasure to invite back Joe Judge, who is an author. He's also a coach. And I am reading right here because I have his book right here. He's an executive coach and thought partner. I love that. And last time he was here, he was with Dr. Mike Merrill, who I guess you guys were like, would you say co-authored this book on leadership? And it was just such a hit. I had to have you back. And it was like almost, what, two or three months ago? It was way before the blizzard. So (laughs) that's that's our mindset here is the blizzard of Christmas. But anyways, it's good to have you here. And I know we didn't really create a list of questions in advance. And I know that you had said anything I could ask would be all good. But I wanted to have you, if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit about yourself, your background. How do you become a coach in this area? And what is your background? That's a, that's a great question. So thank you. So I grew up a, a typical blue collar kid, uh, was the first one in my family to go to college. I went at the last minute. Um, and what I didn't realize was I had not learned how to study until I hit college. And I had a big learning gap uh, to fill because my goal growing up as a teenager was simply to get out of high school. And and so I did that, but I hadn't thought much beyond that. And I got to college and I started to become a student and I started to learn and I uh, I got out of college and I went to seminary and was a, a Lutheran pastor in the Lutheran church and was serving in the church. And while I was building a church in North Carolina, I got introduced to the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, which was started by the Richardson family behind Vicks Vaporub. Hmm. And it's, it's the premier think tank around learning in the country. Uh, they have a, a place in uh, Colorado Springs and in Brussels, I think, and they have one in San Diego. And it, it's just an incredible place. And I, I came home the first time and I told my wife, I said, this is what I want to do. <laughs> it was just like, I thought I love the way they thought. But looking back, what I realized was how much I had to learn, to be honest. It, there was just so much I just was curious about and wanted to learn and um and so I was in the church and then back in 99, I made a transition out and started doing some adjunct work for the Center for Creative Leadership and then wound up in a um, consulting firm in Greensboro and wound up being a partner and president of the firm. And then in 08, went out on my own. But I think in short, I've, I've just always worked with people. That's that's what I've done is, um, you know, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated by uh, human behavior. But uh but I've also been really clear that what has propelled me on this journey the most is how do I get better at being me? And uh, I'd see people do things and I go, wow, I, I want to learn how to do that. And uh, I want to learn how to respond like that. And, uh, and and then about every 10 years of my career, I've just kind of recreated what I've done. I, I started out doing a lot of group work with executive teams and uh, organizations and and then more and more just became a, um, a thought partner is what I call it with uh with CEOs and people who have created large international family businesses, you you would know the name of them. Uh, and there's so much uh, stress and anxiety and tension 
just around being family. And then when you put all that wealth over top of it, it creates a lot more complexities. And uh, so I've, I've just kind of always transitioned a little bit and uh, somehow I wound up where I am. You know, I think that your your upbeat attitude and sort of your observations being, you know, what more can we learn about this? Whereas I'm often thinking, how did that person get that position? Like that had to be, like, how did that even happen? Whereas you can sometimes say, wow, that really was a perfect fit. You know, I, we both see it in different ways sometimes. And I'm sure perhaps you also sometimes say, how did that happen? And maybe they could learn better to be a better leader. But oftentimes I think some people don't want to learn to be better. You know, you have the drive to get better and to learn more. I feel the same way. What's the difference? Yeah, I think what you're what you're really capturing is the difference between effective leaders who have an impact on people and those that don't. And I think part of the issue around leadership is we see so many bad leaders. And, you know, literally a bad leader is somebody who thinks they have all the answers and they stop learning or they make it about themselves or they see the flaws in others and not their own self. Right. And and yet there's a lot of folks out there that are constantly in a learning mode. And uh, I, I, I tell a, a little story in the introduction that was so touching. I worked with um, a group of seven individuals who had all created large public companies and they were all together for a, for a meeting. They had they, they had really formed a tight bond over the years while they were building their organizations. And these are huge companies. And uh, we we got done after a three-day retreat and they sent me a note, which was so touching that somebody would write a note, right? It's uh, old fashioned, right? right? <laughs> but, uh, but what they said was just absolutely just struck me to the core. And uh, they said, thanks for being a beggar willing to show other beggars where to find bread. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what made them all so successful is they saw, they did not see themselves as, you, you know, look at us. They saw themselves as as people who were still trying to learn, still trying to get better and trying to pass on what they learned with other people along the way. And and I think that's I think that's what's missing today, to be honest, in leadership. I think that's why we you know, it's, I think uh, leadership is terribly misunderstood today. And when we look at uh, uh, politicians, when we look at the people in the news, when we look at we, we don't see a lot of good leadership today, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right? We see a lot of selfishness and a lot of bad behavior playing out. So you what you took your thoughts and you put them on paper. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. But it, now it's sort of, is, you know, it, it's on it's it's in a text where people can actually learn from you. And unfortunately, maybe not even be in your classroom, which I think would be a, a cool thing. But you have a lot of thi- a lot of maxims. You have 52. I know we probably only had time to talk about two last time. You identified number six as being something that is most popular. Do you want to talk to us about that one? And I might pick one randomly out to have you elaborate further. But what's number six? Yeah. So so number six, when you look at it, it's, it's all about the, the problem that we have this addiction uh, in our life about being right. And so maximum six says don't enjoy being right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I think one of the biggest insights I've learned along the way is that there's literally 10 or more right answers to every question. And and what happens is we we start off in whether we're in preschool, kindergarten, grade school, getting through high school, going into college, we're, we're evaluated on the right answer versus the wrong answer. And yet when we get out of school, literally nobody asks who's right. They ask, did it work? Yeah. Right. And what gets in the way of a lot of executives is when they believe they're right and they don't consider any other possibilities. And, and so, you know, when, when we, 
when we find the right answer, instead of stopping the conversation, it should open up the conversation. And and that's not normal for most people, right? It's most people find the right answer and they just jump onto the next question. And if we find the right the right answer, it takes the pressure off. And then if we engage in conversation, we can even make that answer better. And I, it, it was so funny one time I was working with an executive of a multi-billion dollar company. And I had been telling him that for because he would shut down conversation over being right. And and he finally one day, and it was just in a moment of pure honesty, he said, Joe, I, I, I'm getting it intellectually, emotionally. I just can't get there yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, he always thought he was right. And I, I, I think part of it is the upbringing that we go through. And then nobody tells us the rule changes, right? And so to be right is really not worth a lie. I tell people a lot, you can be right and sleep in the garage, right? Yeah. So what are you, what are you trying to do? Right. And you can be right. And nobody wants to work for you. Right. But it's, you know, are are you, are you making it work? Are you engaging in a way to bring the minds and insights of other people together so that you can find a good answer and make it even better? And uh, I I, I think literally there's an addiction. A lot of people have to being right. Do you think uh, it has to do with the the confidence somebody has in themselves? So like, for example, if, if you're confident and you're comfortable with who you are, you can be, more comfortable to say I'm wrong. Whereas if you're insecure, you're not sure. And you need that confirmation to to kind of your personal worth is being right. There's no latitude in being wrong. And to me, that's my opinion is that like, I'm not trying to give give me as an example, but I'm perfectly comfortable saying, you know what, I, that could be, I could be really wrong about that because if I'm dedicated to being right, then I'm not going to learn what I did wrong. And I think it's okay to, to be wrong. And I think you have to be, that's human, right? But some people just can't accept that. And I don't know if that's about how strong they feel about themselves or their confidence, or they're afraid to be wrong. I don't know. At the core, I think you're talking about insecurity, Mm -hmm. right? At at the core, it's a, and and the irony is, you know, the most arrogant behavior is typically a mask for insecurity, right? And, And, you know, people also get in the power position. And so then it becomes hierarchical where, you know, you can't question me because I'm I'm in a position above you, right? And and that's also insecurity at, at its core. Yeah, it does have to be that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick another one because okay. I to randomly challenge you to one that I'm not even sure I I knew. So, oh, I know the rat brain is what we talked about last time, and that was kind right. of too. Um, people at work cannot heal you. That's yeah. So the yeah. work again, people at work cannot heal you. That's number seven. Yes, and and so you know. We hope that as people read these things, that they that they stumble over them and that they get upset and they disagree with it, but that they think about it, right? And, uh, really conversation. <laughs> right, because, uh, you know, these things go evolve. But one of the things that that has formed a, a strong belief and principle of my life is that the workplace has no right to cause injury and harm. It also doesn't have the obligation to heal. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people come to work and we all come in with our baggage and our past and, and and our woundedness. Right. And and yet we need to know how to have healthy boundaries so that we keep ourselves in a good spot when we come to work. And and one of the prime examples of where people try to get healed. And, and, and I know this, uh, I, I hope it doesn't come out wrong. Right. But it's there, there are many people who project on their boss issues they had with their parent. Hmm. And, and they see their boss as a parental figure. And boy, that sets up a problem, 
right? Just just because all of a sudden now every everything that you do in interaction with your boss can be for approval, disapproval, right? Or am I good enough? Am I not? And they're they're looking for some healing that it's real and it's deep and the wound can go right, can can really be present. Mm-hmm. But to realize your boss is not your parent, right? It's it's not a it's it's not a substitute for something that wasn't taken care of or it wasn't a sibling that never listened to you and now they have to be that sibling to listen, right? And and that's really what we what we look at is that you, you know, we we owe it to the workplace to have healthy boundaries when we come into work and to understand why we're there. Can I just ask another question about that, though, because I think if if you take that completely in a, in a rigid stance, so like, for example, I'm not taking anything to work that's personal, then I think you, you don't also create relationships at work. And I think in some ways, it's okay to have a, maybe a small circle of people at work that you're able to say that, you know, people know that something's wrong. If I walk into work, and I have some that I and I bring that to work, and I'm sad, you know, to be able to offer, you know, like, oh, you know, my best friend died or, you know, I, my dog is sick. I mean, like, don't you think that some of those human experiences can be shared without it being a boundary issue or no? So I, so I think you're hitting on something that, that, so there's distinctions and I appreciate the way you said that, right? We have an obligation to connect with people at work. Mm -hmm. We, we, we have to let them know who we are. We have to know what we share and what we don't share. We have to be able to distinguish that and, and we have to see them for who they are not for who we want to project them to be, if that makes sense. And so, you, you know, it's uh, if, if they don't connect to us, they don't work for us, right? They, they won't stay. And if they don't feel connected to the people on their team, they won't stay, right? Mm-hmm. And and you, a, a common thing that that I've had a discussion as I've, as I've done workshops over the years, and I've had several people come and say, you're comfortable talking about anything. And I said, no, I'm just really clear on what I'm going to share and what's none of your business. Okay. It's like knowing what your limit is. Yeah. I mean, I there's a lot of stuff I'm really good about sharing. I don't because I've I've kind of I've worked, I I don't have problems talking about my flaws and mistakes and the things I've done stupid along the way and those kinds of things I'm comfortable, but but I also know what's not not anybody else's business to talk about, right? And so part of it is is do you, do you know where those lines are? And can you show up in a way that let people see you, but see you in a way that doesn't have to bring the discomfort or the drama with it. More of 716 together coming up in just a moment. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back to 716 Together, a weekly forum to inform, inspire, and empower Western New York. Right. Well, you know, and too, I think, you know, be, be myself as having been an employee and mm-hmm. also a boss, I think there's also sort of, a, I think, not an expectation, but sort of a, 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 a human need for me as a boss to say, and no, you have a child that was sick at home. You know, how is your son? Right. Or, you know, I'm right. sorry for this unfortunate thing. You know, how is that? How is that going? You know, I, I think that there needs to be some personalization there without digging too deep. Right. But if I just was completely devoid of any human connection. I think that's doing a disservice too. It's just a human, right? I don't know. 
So anyways, that's my comment there. So maybe maybe my boundaries, I've got to read more about the book, but that's kind of, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. How about the other maxim here? The last person to get your personal feedback is you. The last person to get your personal feedback is you. Number five. Yes. So so what I remind people is every, everybody is talking about us already. That's human nature. People talk about people, right? And, and what, what we don't understand is that they're talking about what they like and they're talking about what we don't like. And when we do something that doesn't make sense, they're all talking about it. And the question is, do we want to hear what that conversation sounds like? Mm-hmm. Right. And so do we, so, so what my, my definition of feedback is feedback is the opportunity to listen in on the conversation taking place around us. That, that's all it is. It's not new. It wasn't created for the document or for the conversation. This is what has been being said. And the question is, do you want to hear it or not? I've literally had some people tell me, no, well, you can't be in a leadership role and not hear it. You have to. Right? And, and, well, we don't really want to hear negative stuff, though. You don't, you don't want to hear the bad. But I guess maybe if it's something that's constructively <laughs> approached, you know, I think that maybe it could help. I don't know. Tell us well, what, it, what you thought. Yeah. And, and I don't see it as bad. I see it as effective or ineffective. And so it's it's about how do how do they help us get better, right? And I would rather somebody tell me than let me fail and then say, Oh yeah, I saw you doing that. I just didn't want to tell you, right? And 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 the, the other the other interesting part about feedback is feedback is a hundred percent about the person telling it to you. And it's only forty percent about you as a person receiving it, right? And that, that those are literal numbers and and what that means is if somebody's telling me something, they're, what they're really letting me know is what they like and don't like, what works and doesn't work, what's effective for them and ineffective, which is why literally somebody can come up to me and say, Joe, you're a great communicator, right? <laughs> and somebody else can come up to me and say, you really need help with communication, right? And so what human nature does with that is I, I gather all the information to prove the first person was a genius and the second person was an idiot, Right. Instead of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, it wasn't all about me. It was about them. What did they tell me? What they literally told me was the first person says my communication works with them. The second person saying your communication style doesn't work. Right. And so then can I adjust that so that I can be effective with both people rather than seeing one as right and one as wrong? Does that make sense? It does. And as I'm thinking about this, like personalizing this feedback, there could be other things factored in. Maybe that person really doesn't like you or they're jealous of you. They're going to give you that feedback because they want to make you feel sad. I mean, there's a lot of human human elements to feedback also that play in. So what do you think about like an anonymous feedback? I mean, do you think that that's more valuable, you know, getting, seeking feedback that's anonymous, certainly people who don't perhaps like you or or they want to make you feel sad can still injure you through anonymous comments because sometimes that makes, that feels even worse. Right. But what do you think about anonymous feedback and seeking it out from maybe people that work with you? So I think it can be really healthy because the 40% is the stuff we already know about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And most people, when you get feedback, they go, yeah, I knew that. Right. It's, it's not a big surprise. And so what I want to look at in that feedback is what, what are the themes that are there? Right. And and literally, there are some people who will personalize things and you just have to learn to discount those. I, I'll tell you a funny story. I was working up in uh, New Hampshire with a, uh, a family that had created a large business and I had been on the road all week and they needed a Saturday morning early meeting. And I flew in late on a Friday night from the West Coast. And I got to the hotel at two in the morning and their meeting started at seven, right? Oh, 
after and it was on a Saturday. And I'm going along and I live in South Carolina, right? And uh, I've spent a lot of time in the South. And a lady came up to me on the break and she said, your accent is really offensive to me. Can you do anything with that? Are she <laughs> and, serious? And I just looked at her and I said, I said, no, ma'am. And it's probably going to get worse. Right? Oh. <laughs> like, this was like, I'm tired. I, right? It's like, and it was just like, literally, we hear those kinds of comments, right? We hear stuff. I don't like your shirt. I don't like your glasses. I don't like your hair. And we just have to look at that and go, you know what? That's not about me. That's just not about me, right? Is That's, it them? <laughs> right? It's just, you let, they, they've got something going on in life right now and I feel for them. And, but I don't have to personalize everything. I have to be able to sort through information and say, what resonates? What, what's striking a chord? The, the irony about feedback is most people focus on the negative feedback. Mm-hmm. And yet there's very little value in the negative feedback because we already know it. The value in feedback is understanding what you do really well and figuring out how to double it. I can spend the rest of my life on something I don't do well, and it's I'm never going to be proficient at it. I might get a little bit better. But if I focus my energy on those things I do well and increase them, right, I, that's where my, my, my success comes from. Mm-hmm. And most people discard the positive. And yet that's where the information is really found that uh, that separates people. Are you ready for hard hitting observations? Reality remains reality, no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. And I completely echo that because in different parts of of my work experience where perhaps I presented something and you get the comments about the presentation and 75% positive, 25% that maybe like you described, like your accent or you went too fast, how much we to- totally tune out the positive and so focus on that negative and, and, and you can some- perseverate over it for, for no reason if, if there's no value in it. But that's a good point. It's like really focus on the positive and make that better. That's a great way of being able to flip it around. So, so conflict is something that most people don't enjoy. And they don't know how to do it effectively. And what I have found working with people is when there's a problem, instead of addressing the problem, they let it fester. And they let it fester until they actually get angry or upset. And then they turn that person into a bad person. Instead of understanding everybody's not a good fit all the time for every job, right? And one of the things I work with execs all the time on is don't make somebody into a bad person. Focus on what they're doing, how they're doing it, what you need, right? What What's effective, what's not. Give them the feedback that they need along the way, but deal with it quickly, right? So that you're not bringing all this emotion into it. And you literally, right? Uh, up, up, and, and I've seen it done and, and I've helped people do it, right? You literally can embrace somebody, give them a hug and say, I appreciate everything you've done. I'm going to help you find a job in a better place, right? That, that works for you. You don't have to make an enemy, out of somebody who's not able to do a job. And too often we, we, right, we project all of those things on somebody until we make them the problem and we make them into a bad person instead of just saying, you know, we, we, we need something different right now. We need to go in a different direction. We need a different skill set. 
And not everybody can provide that. And not everybody should work everywhere, right? We, we've all moved around different places because we fit better in some places than we do other places, right? And 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 yet I've so many times I, I've just heard people just spoken so poorly about afterwards or they're, they're act like they were just so horrible. And it's like, you know, they, they, they were a really good person doing their best. It just wasn't what you needed right now. Mm-hmm. You don't, I, well, I don't know that you didn't touch on it because I didn't look at all of the 52 maxims, but do you touch on personality conflicts? Because you, as you're describing this, I'm thinking sometimes it's just a bad personality con- conflict versus aptitude or, or ability, right? Sometimes it's just, you know, it could be a boss and a, and a subordinate that just have a bad mix. How do, you, how do you handle that? Yeah, so so we touch on that in a couple of places. The one is everybody has to understand their shadow side. And we all have a shadow side. And that's the part we try to hide. And we put all this energy to not let it leak out. But that shadow side is what I project on other people and get into conflict. And, and that shadow side is what doesn't allow me to be curious about somebody who's just tough to be around. Let me figure out why are they so tough to be around? And they're teacher to be honest right and if we could just somehow do that but then the other side of that that I, that I talk about in one of the maxims is people use personality as a crutch right and what I remind people is you weren't hired for your personality you were hired for your job yeah. and so you have a personality but your personality should not limit you right so I'm I'm a extreme introvert right and yet I'm in front of people in groups all the time, right? Yeah. That just means I'm more tired at the end of the day than an extrovert would be, right? But it, but but I've I've actually heard introverts say that's why they can't do it. No, you can still you can show up like an extrovert. You can pretend, right? You can and and there's a story in here about an executive that uh that I was talking to that he just he slammed and he said, That's just who I am. And I I literally I had to look at him. I said, Well, you know, I'm here because just who you are is about to be fired. And and he and he sat back and he said, "Well, let's figure out a new me." <laughs> you know, it's like uh, because I, you know, personality is it's it's important to know who we are. But my my issue at times is people see that as a limiting and defining, rather than this is where I'm comfortable. Doesn't mean I can't be uncomfortable, right? Doesn't mean I can't stretch out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and personality conflicts in work, especially among supervisors, it, it, it's a lack of maturity. Right. I, I, I can't be bothered by somebody who's just different or thinks different or talks different or or acts different. I have to be more mature than that as a, as a leader. And I need to figure out how to get my own stuff out of the way, get that shadow side cleaned up and 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 see what I can find in them that I can connect to. And if, if I try, it's really not that hard. Well, you make it sound all very possible. And with that, I, we're almost out of time. We only have a minute left. Where can people find your book, find you, find more about any of these topics we've talked about? Yeah, so so it's on Amazon. And it, it's yeah, you can buy the book on Amazon. And it's just something to think about. We It's not a how-to. Too many leadership books were how-to books. This is not a how-to. This is just stuff to think about that'll that'll keep you on a good path. And uh and we tried to do that. And uh, I'd be happy if anybody had any questions, I'd, I'd be happy to talk to anybody and, uh, and and help them think through what they're thinking through. Joe, thank you so much. We're going to have you back again. And we'll talk about the, the remaining maxims uh, at a time that's uh, coming up hopefully in the spring when the weather gets a little bit better. But thank you so much for joining us long distance in the Carolinas. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you, Tammy. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to 716 Together. Listen for new shows on the air every Sunday morning at 6 and on-demand podcasts posted weekly. This has been a presentation of Cumulus Media Buffalo. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.